This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. It is not intended to cause or induce breach of an existing agency agreement. The goal of this podcast since day one is to provide the best information on the Vancouver real estate market at no cost to you, the listeners. To that end, we'd like to thank the following sponsors. This podcast is sponsored by Marcon, a local family-owned and managed real estate development and construction company that's been around for nearly four decades. Marcon is not only committed to high-quality construction, but it also is making a positive impact in the communities in which it builds all across the Lower Mainland. We want to highlight two incredible Marcon projects. Elmwood, a 38-story tower located at Burquitlam's most important intersection, Como Lake Avenue and Clark Road. This landmark tower will feature 335 condominiums, over 37,000 square feet of office and retail space, and almost 20,000 square feet of amenity space. Elmwood has been incredibly popular with 80% sold currently, but they still have a great selection of junior one-bedroom all the way to three-bedroom homes remaining. Check out markon.ca slash Elmwood for more. And Matt, we are also excited about Sone House, Markon's newest community in West Coquitlam. With 165 homes ranging from junior one beds to three beds, Sone House offers the perfect West Coast aesthetic with a more nuanced Nordic-inspired design. Register today at markon.ca slash Sonehouse. That's S-O-E-N-H-A-U-S. Or you can learn more at markon.ca or follow them at Instagram at markonhomes. Markon, building for life. Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Weather State Podcast. And welcome back to the Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Scalina. I'm Corey Wright, playing Adam Scalina. <laughs> or actually, I'm playing Adam Scalina, and you're playing Matt Scalina. I'm playing Matt Scalina. Well, in that case, you're my fan favorite. <laughs> Thank you very much. We have Corey Wright joining us today, stepping in for Adam for a few reasons that we'll get to. But before we talk about that, we should say who's on the show, Corey. It is... Backed by popular demand, CEO and president of Fifth Avenue Marketing here in the Fraser Valley, Scott Brown. And these guys are in growth mode. We're not talking just about the Fraser Valley market today, but really a talk about the province, around the province in 60 minutes or less. It sounds like how long it would take me to roll around Como Lake in the morning, which is about half a kilometer, if I'm lucky. <laughs> you look great. You look great. <laughs> Once I get all the bark mulch out of my hair. <laughs> but, but Corey, <laughs> we had you on today for, for a couple of reasons. One, you're, you're in, you're in, you're in uh, taking care of Adam's role here. <laughs> and two, you are launching May 11th, the Vancouver Commercial Real Estate Podcast, which is probably the most exciting thing uh, I'm I, trying to think of what's, what's... I'll be honest with you. I can't believe you guys gave me a show. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's, here's maybe we'll... And we had you on talking about it last week. But here's the thing. 
you've been on our show five, six, you're like the seven timers club. Uh, always, always demand for Corey Wright on the Vancouver Real Estate Podcast for sure. And it got to the point where we were talking so often about the interplay between commercial and residential and having people ask about what's going on and, and basically having people calling you. It was like, hey, Let's put a we show need together. a show. We, we need, need a show. show. There is there is enough demand out there for the Vancouver Commercial Real Estate Podcast, and there's definitely nobody better than yourself to host it. Well, I don't know if I'd say that, but I appreciate the plug. Hey, <laughs> that's right. So maybe let's just start by uh, tell us a little bit about this show because it's uh, I would say it's your brainchild. So we want to sort of demystify the commercial real estate world because I think a lot of people ha- have a, a persona of maybe what it is. And we're hopefully going to unpack that and and let everyone know that, A, it is accessible to almost anybody who wants to be part of it through an investment standpoint, whether it be as a as an investor in a particular property or through a syndicate, or also if you ever want to start your own business. Like, how does that work? And we're going to bring on mortgage brokers and lawyers and property managers and developers to really kind of give everyone sort of a real baseline information of all the different asset classes and how everything kind of functions behind the scenes. And then we'll dive right into really trendy topics like where are people investing and you know things like Kelowna, Kelowna, Kelowna is all you hear about. So we'll talk about Kelowna. This is a really interesting thing. So you're... Because I feel like commercial is maybe not as complicated as people think, but it's definitely, at least in the popular uh, conception, significantly more complicated than residential. So there is kind of a 101, like how-to component to this podcast. But then uh, what's trending? Like when you think about light industrial, uh, right? Like things like that that – you might not hear about uh, if you're not really dialed in. You're going to be focusing on, yeah, those trending topics week in, week out, uh, just as we do on the residential side. Yeah, we'll keep people abreast of everything that's going on. And and one thing you'll find in commercial, maybe more so that you don't sort of see in the residential world, is most listings are done through exclusively or, or off-market, we can call it, where if you don't have a broker working for you in that asset class or that marketplace, or you're not dialed in with a company or a broker, a lot of those transactions can sort of happen right under, right beneath your nose, and you have no idea. So we'll sort of we'll let people know about how that part of the business works, and also asset classes, like you said, small light industrial, you know, Greater Victoria, one percent vacancy rate, lowest in North America. How does that happen? We'll talk about it. I'm sold. Done. I'm sold. This is it. May 11th, Vancouver Commercial Real Estate Podcast. Really exciting stuff. But there's a few other things we should cover before we get to our talk with Scott Brown. One is this podcast is sponsored by Oakland Realty. This is our brokerage. Best brokerage in the city, Corey. I know you you work in a different world and you actually own a, your own brokerage. So it's a it's a different uh it's a different animal. But I would say on the residential side, Oakland Realty is the best, the culture, the resources. Uh, just the energy uh, over yep. there. It's fantastic. Head over to oakwin.com slash join. Type in VRP2020. That's oakwin.com slash join VRP2020. And of course, this is for new agents, aspiring agents, people just looking to make a change in the industry. There's a huge incentive for using that uh, that code. And, uh, and more importantly, you get to sit down with Michael Morgan and the gang. You won't be disappointed. And last but not least, Corey, the April stats are out. You were asking me about these this morning. They came out just this morning. And what I would say is it basically captures exactly what we're feeling on the ground, which is not always the case. Sometimes there's a lag in the stats. But I think at least my reading of these April stats captures 
what seems to be a slowing market? Well, I think that you almost think it have to happen where the market has been so white hot for so long that it would have to at some point probably plateau. And I think one thing too is you'll probably see in the numbers, and I haven't gone through them too diligently just yet, but they're probably still way above where they were probably expected to be considering we're coming out of a world pandemic. Well, just to give you one stat here, April sales were 56.2% above the 10-year average wow. for April. So Impressive. Uh, it's 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 still really busy out there, but I would liken it to, you know, we're, we were moved from full sprint to a quick jog. Like and, a valet that, jog. Yeah. A valet jog on a Monday at Joey's. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> Did we mention he's the best dressed guy in the game? <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so anecdotally, here's what we're hearing. Market's a bit spotty. Some people are very surprised at how uh, a listing pops off where others are left wondering uh, where did everybody go? And it's kind of hard to decipher exactly what is attracting buyers right now and what isn't. We're down from, say, eight, nine offers on a property that's hot to maybe three to five. Uh, definitely fewer subject-free offers for sure. You know, moving towards a balanced market. Um, but when I was looking at these stats, the one thing that, that struck me was Maple Ridge. And you're from out that way. I know you're not from Maple Ridge. Born and bred in Pitt Meadows, I believe. Yes, that's correct. But just let me give two numbers here that are, are incredible for single-family homes and for townhomes, if you want to capture the year-over-year price increases in the suburbs, I think Maple Ridge is, is the best market to take a look at. So if you look at single-family in East Vancouver, we had a, we had a great last year. We we're up 16.1%. Wow. The West Side was up 11.5%. Maple Ridge was up 30.4%. Unbelievable. In, from April of 2020, which is, which is incredible, right? Townhomes, same story, Corey, 12.2 in East Van, up 10.6 on the west side. Maple Ridge, 21.9%. Uh, so it just goes to show, I said to somebody this morning, like, you know, once it became clear the trends, uh, there's two kind of takeaways here. Once it became clear what the trends were after COVID, you know, we say often on the show, believe the hype. And it's true, right? Like, yeah. we, we were talking about the move to the suburbs almost a year ago, and there's time. There's time to spot these trends, see what's happening, and actually benefit from them. Even if you would have done something in in January, February here, you're you're way way up, right? But secondly, is it's really really. If two years ago somebody would have said, "Hey, the best market to to be in 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 2020 will be Maple Ridge," I would have. I would have been surprised. Well, I think COVID's put an onus on on livability a lot more than probably anything has done before and probably anything that will come after it. And I think during that time, families that maybe thought they could live in maybe a smaller dwelling have been stuck inside a lot more. Maybe there's more value added to a yard. So I, I think I think seeing what's transitioned over the past 12 months, I, I wouldn't have said Maple Ridge, but I would definitely think there'd be a trend that would start to see an uptick, whether you go into the Fraser Valley markets and stuff like that where people are now looking to probably get more house and more yard for their money as well as there's also a component now of people finding new avenues to work, whether it be from home or from home and the office, that there's probably a lot more onus put on livability now than there ever has been. Absolutely. The only two markets that have outperformed Maple Ridge in in the real estate board of Greater Vancouver are the Sunshine Coast at 42.8%. And Bowen Island at 45.6%. So I think, Corey, 
you dabble in commercial, but I'd say you got a good line on it there. Well, I think I think if those numbers, if that doesn't tell you what people are doing, I don't know anything that's going to happen. I couldn't find Bowen Island on a map. <laughs> it's a nice place to visit up for a weekend. <laughs> Last but not least, before we cut to our talk with Scott Brown, CEO and president of Fifth Avenue Marketing, is our listing incentive. And one thing I would say, Corey, in red hot markets, you know, I, I would say you still benefit from having a professional sell your home. That is a given. People that do this day in, day out, know the market very well, uh, have systems in place to get you top dollar in the shortest amount of time. That's always the case. But when in transitioning markets, it's arguably even more important. And we here at Sclina Real Estate and the Vancouver Real Estate Podcast have our listing incentive going until about mid-June. I'm not going to say what it is, but we've had many people from the community reach out, benefit from this incentive, and I would encourage everyone out there to consider it. What you told me before we went on, I was so excited for the listing incentive, I was going to go buy a condo just so you could sell it. (laughs) There there you go. (laughs) So get in touch at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com or give me a call at any time. We're more than happy to help, and Adam is obviously as well. He's just not here today. But maybe we should cut to our talk with Scott Brown, CEO of Fifth Avenue Marketing. This does not disappoint around the province in 60 minutes or less, and I, I can't get it out of my head. You just, you around, just run in the lake. Around the province in 60 minutes or less, or Corey rolling around Como Lake at 4 o'clock in the morning covered in bark mulch. Enjoy. Okay, so we're here with Scott Brown, past guest, fan favorite, and of course, wears a lot of hats, including um, running Fifth Avenue Real Estate Marketing Limited. How you doing, Scott? I'm uh, happy to be with you guys again. I always enjoy talking to you. I've been following you quite closely, and uh, you know, I never know what you're going to say next. They're always such good animated conversations. So I hope <laughs> I don't. I hope I don't lower the bar with my chat with you today. Uh, I don't think that's possible, Scott. Yeah, thanks so much for taking the time. We set a pretty low bar around here, so. Uh. <laughs> but our guests set a high one. Yeah. So th- thanks yeah. for thanks for coming back on the show. Yeah, I mean, you were on quite recently, and it was a fantastic conversation. But maybe can we start by you reminding our our listeners a little bit, uh, or telling them a little bit about yourself? Yeah. Well, uh, and what what have you been up to, and how's the market? <laughs> Yeah. Well, I just turned 55. That's more personal than you want to know. But what I can tell you is I'm probably in my 33rd year of this stuff. And it's been, you know, the, the talk I've been giving to different people right now and the real estate space is what in the world is going on. So what's going on with us is interesting is that, so Fifth Avenue, I've been involved with for eight years. I got two partners, Jamie Squires, who's a senior leader there. She's been there 18 and Michelle has been there 11. So the two key people that work with me on most of the stuff, and we've got a great team, but those two key leaders have been at fifth a lot longer than I. And uh, so it's interesting because we originally were were owned by a husband and wife team for many, many years, and they've transitioned to advisors in the business. But when we wanted to grow and we saw the suburban market growth, ironically, the partner that invested us was a group called Peerage Capital or Peerage Realty out of Ontario. Now, you're going to hear more about them in the next little while because they invested quietly in Fifth Avenue about five years ago um, and helped us sort of with this, with transition. But they're also 
my sister company that Peerage is invested in is called Baker Real Estate in Toronto. And they do about 6,000 condominium sales a year at Baker. So they're a beast. So Peerage has been looking at the BC strategy. And increasingly, as much as I'm president and CEO of FIP, I've been working more on the BC strategy. And you'll like this one. So Ontario is all about Labatt's or Molson. I tease my partners, right? One big brewery. And if they want craft, they go buy a craft beer, sell out, and then put it on the shelves. So I tease my partners in Ontario because they're one big brand covers Ontario and Quebec. BC, I believe each market is so unique that we're taking what I call a craft beer approach to to real estate marketing. So we have fifth, that's our suburban craft beer, and we focus on affordable mid-market, and we're having good success with that. We had a partner company in the Okanagan for many, many years, and my key partner there unfortunately passed away suddenly in June. So we've acquired that company with periods. And so we have our Okanagan businesses called Epic, and it's tripled in size in the last year in terms of listings and what's happening in that market. Wow. And it's focused primarily in Kelowna, but it's, we'll talk about that Kelowna market, but it's running everything from pretty much, uh, you know, Penticton all the way up to Vernon. And then we're, we're doing something as well on the island with a lot of growth we'll talk about. And then our last one is we, you know, Fifth Avenue focuses on suburban and affordable but with our partner, I mentioned the, the Labatt's beer partner, Baker, we created a new town, downtown firm focused on Burnaby, Richmond, downtown, high-rise, Canby Corridor, et cetera. And that's called Baker West. And they've launched and they've already listed $300 million worth of product or more. And they're actively selling on their first project this month and they're just killing it. So, so each of those are unique expressions of how to serve the clients and the customers common realtor base across all of them that we cooperate like yourselves. Um, but it does give us this whole idea of being able to give you kind of a, a multifamily kind of take around the province of BC and what's happening. Right. Well, that's interesting because we've had you on the show uh, before talking almost exclusively and we've, we've, I think we've veered off a little bit, but almost exclusively about the Fraser Valley where you've been operating primarily, correct? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, and I'd say suburban markets because we, the Fraser Valley, the you know the the marketer's definition of the Fraser Valley includes Coquitlam and Maple Ridge, and uh, you know Abbotsford Mission, everything like that. Whereas the the Greater Vancouver Board always argues about whether Maple Ridge is theirs, Ridge Meadows is theirs, right? But the consumer is not that much different. They're like, dude, I relate to somebody in Langley more than I do somebody in Burnaby, right? So right, right. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Well, well, maybe, you know, it's kind of exciting that you're expanding so quickly and all over the province because it, it leads to the question, what in the world is going on in British Columbia real estate? Yeah, well, one of the things I like about putting out the Fifth Dimension report that we put out and I also like about talking to you guys, including January, is I remember what I said and I go, well, I got that right. I got that right. <laughs> yeah, I was a little off on that one. Um, so a year ago, we were talking to the industry. And, you know, we said at that time, COVID-19 is not going away. Well, clearly it's not gone away. Okay. Um, and we as an industry have had to adapt and will continue to adapt. And what's interesting is I think we've trained the consumer or coached the consumer to behave a certain way that they're not going to go back on. They expect way much more information from new marketers like us up front. And they still want our sales centers, but they're using our sales centers to come in and actually make the decision to buy and sign as opposed to to explore. So 
you know, having to push everything online. Um, the buyer demand back in the spring was very interesting because it, it was led not by investors, but by end users. And the, the end users are still super active across all BC, but the investor has sort of come back. You know, I think last June and we said, look, we expect this to continue to improve the market. And we actually were quoted as saying, and it may actually surprise people with the level of improvement. Who's not surprised right now? Uh, so far this year, almost 6,000 or 6,500 new multifamily homes have sold. Uh, that's more so far this year than almost the, the previous kind of probably 20-year or longer peak uh, in 2016. And that year, you'll remember, finished with over 20,000 new sales. So new and resale are both hot, hot, hot. But it's surprising in that a lot of that is driven by real, real end use. And so far, the prices had remained fairly stable. But in the last 100 days or so, in almost all markets, the townhome markets first took a run-up in pricing. And now we're seeing that, that condominium product run-up as well. You know, just thinking about the last couple months, and, and of course, we remember our conversation. I think you were the second week of January we had you on the yeah. show. But but even then, at least when I think back to it, I don't remember thinking, okay, January, February, March is going to see this, just a spike in demand, uh, yeah. kind of the market frenzy. What do, do you have any sense as to what led to this craziness in, in really the last couple months? Well, it's a good question because, you know, there's clear answers and then there's other answers that we may not understand. But one of them is, that still has to be supply, okay? Like less so on the resale side, but true on the resale side, definitely on the new, right? We're not keeping up with the amount of housing that's required. And it's funny how little supply is ever talked about, mm-hmm. and particularly in the media, uh, by politicians. Like supply, other than the fact that the odd person will say, well, we'll do it, we'll build that rental, we'll build that for you. We just don't, like how many times do you have to be saying something I remember writing in a report once, I said, just because it might appear to be in my self-interest about more supply doesn't mean it isn't true, right? Right. So, like, part of the demand is you can't, you know, 14 days on market, this, 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 right? We don't have enough housing to keep up with people. And these low interest rates are one factor, for sure, right? Like, next to the car business, the housing business is the most driven, or the housing business more than car business is driven by financing. So, and it was funny, I was watching John Oliver the other night, and he was talking about deficits. And he was talking about how these economists couldn't explain why the interest rates have historically, since the 80s, gone lower and lower and lower. And I was like, none of them had an answer. And I'm like, well, I don't have the answer either, but I do know it certainly drives housing demand. Mm-hmm. And then the other one is, you know, the quiet story, because people in Canada don't necessarily like to shout about their wealth, is and I've been talking about this for 10 years, we're still in the early stages of one of the most significant transfers of wealth on the planet from one generation to the next. And a lot of the parents are trying to help the kids get into the housing market, et cetera. So, and then there's another fueling factor, which is those who can afford it are buying a second place again with the eye to potentially occupying it full time in the future. Um, and so there's that whole shift around that, that that people are moving around. And the interesting thing, guys, is that no one since last June, when the market really turned back on with COVID and then has been sustained in leading into records, both new and that, no one 
has used the F word for a while, the foreign buyer, right? Right. Because they can't <laughs> get in the going, country. I thought you were going somewhere else. I thought we that. were going to change our PG rating there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm trying to push the boundaries for you a little bit. <laughs> but uh, seriously, all this is happening without the foreign buyer. Isn't that interesting? Right, Because you'll remember that the foreign buyer, wrongly or rightly, was accused to be creating the inflation that was leading to all the issues in 2017 that led to government intervention in 2018, right? And there were multiple myriad government interventions in 2018 culminating in July with the stress test. But on top of it, foreign buyers empty tax, you name all these taxes, right? So I think what you have is you have genuine housing demand, not just speculative investment demand, that is unmet by supply. You have buying conditions that currently, even with the recent stress increase, do enable people to buy real estate. You have people with changing housing needs, and you have an immigration wave waiting in the future when we're all kind of vaccinated and clean that is pent up. There's another wave of pent up demand for housing that's going to be driven somewhat by immigration. And by the way, immigration isn't just from, from foreign. We have a project in uh, South Surrey called Hazelwood. And this is, and I, I can tell you about a project in Victoria, and I can tell you a project in Kelowna that have the same statistics. 20 of the last 30 townhomes we've sold, and these are, you know, not these are larger townhomes, 800,000 to a million one, have been people relocating from Ontario. Right. Well, they're certainly not moving here because of the hockey team yet, <laughs> but the weather, et cetera, the whole Zoom, people can work where they want. So now all of a sudden, if we have accelerated interprovincial migration on top of you know Im- migration, immigration, where people are already here but have not sort of received their proper you know, designation, if you will, uh, and you've got you know, you know, people coming in from another country to live at, at an advanced rate, we got, again, a major supply issue. That might be the key to sustaining it. The thing that probably, and this isn't just BC, by the way, but there's not a market I can find in BC right now that's not experiencing this. So it's not just a a Metro Vancouver thing. Like, remember coming out of 2008 into 2011, 12, 13, 14, Vancouver started to show it. But the Okanagan and the island certainly didn't experience what they're experiencing right now until a couple years after that. But there's more of a common pattern across BC, and it is right across Canada too. I mean, it's pretty hard to find a market in Canada that isn't isn't sort of performing all of a sudden, seeing seeing some of the same types of things around costs and inflation. So, Scott, in thinking about just targeting uh, supply as opposed to demand, we've just had two new policies uh, announced: the potential, the increase of the stress test, and then the vacant homes tax yesterday in the federal budget for foreign owners. Do you see these as as having any kind of an impact on the market? Well, I think the st- I'm going to break those up. The stress test is interesting, okay, because generally with COVID, you have to be careful because my sense is you have to keep interest rates at a way that number one is economic recovery. So the only tool you really have is that stress test for the typical demand, right? So you have to take buying power away. So this first little one, I think, is a trial balloon takes away about 5% buying power. Shouldn't be too material. What it is doing right now, and you guys are probably seeing this, is driving a ton of buying between now and June 1st. Right. Which is exactly what it did. I keep saying deja, urban deja vu all over again. This is exactly what happened in 1718. Right. Stuff like that. I think the other taxes, like the foreign buyers tax and stuff like that, is maybe proactive or, you know, it's, it's posturing. 
Um, but I think the one thing the government is fortunately sitting there going, well, we do need to cool this. We don't talk about supply, right? So we have a hammer and everything looks like a nail and that, that hammer is the stress test. So what I'm curious about is, you know, why aren't they like, I mean, is the dumbest freaking guy you're ever going to meet or, or I'm spot on. And what I'm trying to figure out is like, what other product, if you don't have too much of it, doesn't price go down? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So how, how does that rule not apply here? Like literally tell all the developers, Hey, fast approvals, you know, if you want to, if you want to help, you want to help the consumer see benefits, help developers save a bit of money with approvals, but get to market faster. And then if there's a little bit of oversupply, watch the downward pressure on pricing. Right. So I don't, I don't know that like supply to me needs to be addressed in different ways. The government can't really just say, well, we'll create it. I'm not a big fan of that. Like I get they're trying to do that with rental and social housing. And, and that's, that's important because the government should is, is in a position to do things that I guess the general, the markets won't do. Right. But you guys tell me like, you know, do you see that what we did see it? I'll, I'll give you the previous kind of previous time we had a downturn in 2007 and eight, there was a twin downturn. And this is important when I talk about Victoria and the Island and Kelowna is that the, the resort real estate market crashed. Right. And it was like, well, I need a place at Whistler, but I don't need four, but I bought four because they all go up. Right. Well, that didn't happen. Right. <laughs> Whereas in Vancouver, the market came back generally with some investors, but real end users, both older buyers and younger buyers getting back in the market, flooding back into downtown Vancouver because they reset their prices hard. Well, they can't do that now. So one of the things we'll talk about when we get to central Vancouver is what, you know, I used to joke that the U.S., not joke, but observe that the U.S. dollar for the market, how to gauge every other neighborhood was off of downtown Vancouver, that little Manhattan-esque piece of beauty. Okay. Now it's not, it's Burnaby because that's not a real market. That's a luxury market or a rental market. So there's a shift. And what's happening is across all of the markets, including up in Kelowna, Victoria, the suburbs, people are having to reestablish what a standard kind of base price is. I look at our sales reports every day and I have to go, okay, that's five years ago. That would have been this. That is normal now, right? Um, I have to retrain myself. But what are you guys seeing, right? Like, how is this different from what you saw before? Like, it, I, it doesn't feel like the, the false investment demand of the resort real estate to me. Mm-hmm. Um it does feel like you you just you you got a lot of real commute consumers and they need stuff. Right. Yeah, I mean it does in when I think of 2017 like we were working with a ton of investors, you know, yeah. whether they were from wherever if they're born and bred in Vancouver, but but there was a lot it felt a lot like there was a lot more speculation going on in 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 2016-2017 to me than than right now. It almost feels like to a person you know, we're working with some investors, but a lot of people moving through the market. Yeah, 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 yeah. and and partly because their their whole existence has shifted, right? Yeah, I mean, well, like I was going to say, kind of reconceptualizing the way they want to live potentially is is one of the driving forces a little bit. And a lot of it, and you know, we always talk about you know the people saying, "Well, I don't have to commute for work anymore. I'm going to move out to the valley or something like that from Vancouver." But in reality, right now, if I think about the people that I know that are moving through the market. A lot of it is just the fact that, you know, they would have spent a lot of their time at restaurants or out and about at community centers, all these things that they can't do now. And and they're still expecting to, to live in a two-bedroom condo 
750 square feet downtown. It just doesn't make sense anymore, right? So it's like everybody is collectively looking for more space. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, you make a great point because the last recovery was driven inside out. This one from COVID was driven outside in. It's the suburban markets and then the feeder markets of the, or the regional markets that have, are stronger. First, downtown Vancouver really is yet to recover. Uh, Burnaby's starting to show real signs of life true. But, you know, and it's a funny thing because our, our parents' parents were all about, it's about the house. I'm willing to sacrifice my lifestyle to have a house. I'll be house rich and lifestyle poor. This generation is like, ease up on the house. I'm happy to have a small place if I want to go out. And yeah. now you're kind of handcuffing that thing going, well, we're going to be around here this much and we don't want to get divorced. I guess we better get a bigger place. <laughs> but there's another thing that's happened quietly in, in the Okanagan, the island, and the suburbs, is that their placemaking has advanced over the 10 years. So people go out to these places and they go, this isn't the suburb where... I've got to drive back down to central Vancouver to do anything fun. Right. The livability of all these communities, the services, the opportunities, the restaurant scenes, like there's places like Maple Ridge where there's five or six restaurants that are top drawer, right? That people don't even know about unless you're there. So Vancouver is increasingly becoming the center of Vancouver, not the Canby corridor and that is becoming to some an amenity that for a while is poisonous, right? I don't want to go downtown. It'll make me sick. It will come back. But I think that I've been following this over the last five years in Metro Vancouver. The share of market is moving more to Burnaby or to New Westminster as the center of where the market is. It's not downtown anymore. Mm-hmm. If you count in the Tri-Cities, over half of the transactions occur right out of the traditional Burnaby, Vancouver, North Vancouver market. So, so maybe, and this is more thinking out loud here, but thinking back to kind of general trends in BC. In 2016, 2017, we had people on the show and a lot of, at that time, you know, how's the Victoria market doing? The conversation really revolved around spillover from from the lower mainland, right? How's Kelowna doing? Well, it depends on how Vancouver's really doing. And I think kind of a microcosm of that is how's Burnaby or Poco or whatever doing? Well, it depends on how Vancouver's doing uh, kind of as a driving force. It, It doesn't feel that way anymore to me at all. Like it feels like there's even in your point about supply, right? It feels like supply it's not just there's a supply issue here and that leads to spillover. It's like there's a supply issue across the province. Is that kind of a, what you're seeing? Spot on. And let's, 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 that's a nice transition to the mental tour. So let's talk about that. The, the greater Vancouver and the Vancouver Island and, and, and greater, greater Victoria's are in the Vancouver Island and the Okanagan still do benefit from an aging group of population migrating to live there. Okay. But they also are benefiting now from first-time buyers going, I can work up there and live up there. But they're, so, so it's still feeder market stuff, but there's also organic growth that's driving things. And then immigration from outside BC, which isn't coming straight to Vancouver. Okay? Mm-hmm. It's, going to the, it's, it's ironically spreading around the province because there's people that like Comox and want to retire. So, so that's the difference is that the immigration isn't all in Vancouver and then forcing people out. There are still people coming out of Vancouver. But you're right, province-wide is a supply issue. Let's go to Victoria, for instance, right now, right? Accelerated pre-sales were always a challenge in Victoria because they had some really high-profile failures. And then the last little while, it's been better, but you couldn't pull it off. You know, with, with the magnitude, you couldn't in Vancouver. Well, here's what's going on. Downtown high-rise is going to be back in Victoria in the market shortly, if not, you know, and it's going to go over $1,000 a square foot. And some of that is because the land costs a lot and there's development costs. Some of it is because 
there's only one or two downtown opportunities of a high rise, mm-hmm. right? Uh, Bear Mountain is back. It's quietly had thousands of people move there and became a neighborhood with the road connectivity. But now there's about $3 million being marketed in the next six months to promote Bear Mountain for two new multifamily offerings by a developer partner that bought in there. So Bear isn't a resort anymore. It's a recreational urban community where people from Vancouver can live there part-time, but there's a hell of a lot more going on than golf. And that's forcing people, because of the Langford prices in that and because of pre-sales, to move up island. Right, you got out of province migration is a big driver on the island. They track it in their real estate board, which I I haven't seen in Vancouver's. Maybe I missed it, but they call this buyers of origin reports fascinating. Okay, and then you've got all kinds of big multifamily in Victoria and Nanaimo by really credible, well financed developers, not some of the guys that were swinging for the fences before. And then up island, the recreational properties are in huge demand, and they're semi retirement or seasonal as well, and some of them are out of the tax zone. So the island's got a real good five or 10 year run in front of it. And probably the only difference between the island for the Vancouver buyer moving there and the, and the Kelowna is the decision about to ferry or highway, mm-hmm. you know, and, and there, there probably is still a slight preference for people to take a highway over a ferry, but you're going to see some pretty significant activity in greater Victoria in the next, you know, two to three years. And and then up into the up islands. I can think of four or five new communities that are being planned right now. And then you go around to the interior. Okay, so average pricing downtown Kelowna right now is over 800 a square foot. Okay. Uh, when we just brought the first tower in like 10 years out, you know, about four or five years ago, it was the ho- developers hoping to get six. I think we got 660. The new projects in downtown probably going to flirt with 900 a square foot. And that's investors, end users, young buyers, you know, there's a new UBCO campus in Kelowna. Kelowna really is is a city, not just a recreational, you know, capital. There's high-end interest. Last year in Kelowna, the single family on the lake was moving like crazy, but a lot of people thought the multifamily product made them sick. <laughs> they were afraid of getting COVID or something. That's over right now. Uh, ourselves and another developer have already sold more homes in the last three months in Kelowna, above a million dollars than we sold all last year. Uh, there's going to be an intense amount of competition in Kelowna this summer and in a number of the neighborhoods. And you're seeing all prices increase, similar to the Fraser Valley. Low-rise and townhome have gone up a lot in price. But there's something that I was involved in recreational real estate pretty much from its infancy uh, in one way, shape, or form back to kind of the 90s. And that's where we used to say, okay, you know, we're going to have a second place. We don't care if it's pretty. It's a crash pad. And then everybody's like, well, I want a second place, but I want it as nice as my first home. And then the resort thing died away. There's something I'm calling the recreational renaissance that's going on. I have never seen more interest in people wanting to get multi or new lakefront property since 2006 when it peaked out. Mm. So from Summerland to Vernon, they're set to swell. And a lot of it is, you know, what's happening is that people want, they can live there year round. They can work there. You can also buy now at today's prices and then retire later. So there's all these factors. But the restaurant scene, the service scene in, in Kelowna is picking up, so people don't feel that they're sacrificing anything. But Penticton is definitely poised to be next because when Kelowna is going to 900 a square foot and Penticton's downtown is ready for this stuff, keep an eye on that. Um, Summerland and Vernon are going to swell with people from out of the province. Albertans moving here. 55 years old, going to live in BC, still do their business back in Alberta. 
And I can't help but think Kamloops and the Kootenays are on the way. So, so to your point, there are little mini Vancouverisms going on there. And then there's also this wreck demand behind it mm-hmm. where people are going, Hey, I discovered my own backyard. BC's beautiful. Um, I want to own a home here and one day I'm going to live here. The one that surprised me is again, these Ontario people, cause there's some great cottage country there. And yet they're coming out to Kelowna and going, Nope, I like the heat, uh, <laughs> consistency of weather. Here I come. Yeah. So makes you really stop and think like just th- there's not a market here that we don't need to pay attention and be active to. And, and then we get into, you know, the suburb markets where townhomes just ramped up in pricing and demand. Scott, sorry, just before we get to the suburb markets, just two quick questions for you yeah, or, for or a point, a question. One is um, we, we've been talking to a few people about Kelowna and it's worth the little Vancouverisms is, is kind of worth kind of just pausing on. I was there for business. It was a, about a month and a half ago, but I, I haven't been there in four or five years for more than a day. And like, man, I, that, I never thought I could live in Kelowna, but this time I was like, I, I this is fantastic. Yeah, yeah, it does feel, yeah. there's a lot of that little Vancouverism is a, is a really interesting way of framing it. But just to think about Penticton a little bit, because we've had a couple people on talking about how gangbusters Kelowna is growing. And a lot of people are, that we've been talking to a lot of people, listeners reaching out are saying, is Kamloops the next Kelowna? Right. It sounds like you're you're thinking Penticton's the place. Well, I think there is a difference. Kind of how I talked about the difference between Greater Victoria and, and the Okanagan. There is a difference between the Thompson and the Okanagan. I think Kamloops is going to grow as a regional hub, an educational hub. And Kamloops is going to be home to a bunch of people from Williams Lake, 100 Mile and all that who need to retire closer to a major hospital and center. So Kamloops is going to go through an accelerated growth. I think it'll be less recreational and more pure urban and residential. Uh, Whereas I think in Penticton, it's going to be a smaller scale to Kamloops as a regional center, but more of this recreational and retirement buyer. And so, but Penticton is when, when you think about it, right? Penticton is an easy drive most of the time to Kelowna for services, restaurants, and funds. But Penticton is not lacking in that. It has a hospital. They have an interesting local craft beer scene, <laughs> which uh, is one of my games. Yeah, good sign. <laughs> Preaching yeah, to the choir. So, so it, it's, I, we're all going around. And, and when I was in Kelowna, or Penticton looking at a project about four or five weeks ago, my buddy and I, who, who runs Epic up there, Shane Stiles, said to me, it feels like 2013 or 15, 16 in Kelowna, doesn't it? I said, yeah, it's coming. So uh, maybe this is a tough question for you, but if you're investing in one city, what do you choose, Kamloops or, or Penticton? Asking or one for area, asking for, asking for every listener. <laughs> <laughs> well, kind of reminds me what I my old mentor said. You know, if you could do both, do both, uh, <laughs> uh, and then it becomes more of a personal decision. I think the fundamentals in Kamloops and Penticton are very similar. I think that the rents and things like that aren't that, you know, like rent fundamentals like rent. So I think ultimately it comes back to more of a personal preference about, mm-hmm. you know, there's very good rental service providers in both. So it's really tough to decide. I think that what I invest in might be different. In in Kamloops, I'm looking for, if I'm doing rental, I want to be downtown in that new development. I want to find you know, young professionals or students who don't want to live on campus, you know, and I want ideally long-term tenants. If I'm in Penticton, I want a little bit of both, but in Penticton, I'm probably not afraid of the nightly rental market, 
or the Airbnb more than I would be in Kamloops. That's probably the one big differentiator is there's enough recreational in Penticton that you could rent your place out for a month nightly and then keep it yourself, you know, or help somebody. That's what recreational real estate used to be. I have it. And then I want to rent it not to make money, but to help somebody else make, help me pay for it. So when I use it, I can afford it. But I'd say that one fundamental difference is Airbnb potential, I think, is stronger, obviously, in Penticton than it would be six months a year uh, than it would be at all in Kamloops. Right. Yeah. So Kamloops is the bread and butter uh, market. It sounds like Penticton. You're thinking it's a little sexier. Yeah, it's probably fair to say. And I mean, the people in Kamloops would probably be pissed off because Kamloops has some amazing lakes and everything around it. But I think what I would say is that Kamloops is much more of a pure urban center and Penticton is probably a little bit more of a recreational you know, sub-capital. Okay. Moving on to the suburban markets where we were headed there. Yeah. Well, there's a shocking thing with a couple of things. First of all, the suburban markets continue to represent more and more market share. But the other one is, just like this deja vu I told you about with 2016-17, I thought back when I talked about COVID and I was one of the people that spoke out about recovery and said that you know this was all going to happen, and most of it did. But the one thing that surprised me the most was I didn't expect through 2020 we were going to see price escalation. And what happened was the townhome and the single-family market took off. And the new townhome, you know, we were getting forced because of demand to you know reprice townhomes and because and wood was up and they were still absorbing rapidly so the townhomes took a huge leap in pricing and volumes and last year you remember townhomes across metro vancouver were an anomaly they represented more than half the sales because high-rise was not selling mm-hmm. so now high-rise is back surrey city center in, in guilford basically surrey city center you know there's probably 400 sales of high-rise in the last month and they're all flirting with 900 a square foot, which is where I think they'll normalize that. But when I look at Burnaby now and I look at what's happened at Metrotown and Brentwood, and sometimes you're driving over the highway and you see it and you forget that's not downtown because <laughs> uh, it looks that dense and downtown's quite low, so you can't see it. But I think that Surrey City Center and Guilford are about to become Metrotown and Brentwood. And I believe a developer bought the north end of the Guilford Mall to redevelop with towers. And Guilford's had pent up demand for towers. We launched a little wood frame near there, walking distance to Guilford, and it was gone in a month at almost 700 a square foot. So in the valley, those SkyTrain stations and Guilford with the regional mall are maturing. The population that was coming is arriving, and you're seeing significant growth. And also, because people are priced out, the trickle effect, I call it, is that, okay, so Burnaby's the new downtown, New West and Surrey are kind of the new Coquitlam, all right, Coquitlam's the new Burnaby. So it's just pushing those buyers out and investors out to these new neighborhoods and setting new price points. And then you've got the Fraser Highway SkyTrain development yet to come. So that's going to very much improve the situation. Um, Probably my only concern a little bit about the Fraser Valley and the suburb markets is that because there's so much pressure from banks for developers to sell fast, I think the one thing we're not doing is building enough larger product, not so much for families yet, but for older buyers. And that was the that older thousand square foot downsizer product is what made the market in the valley when you couldn't sell anything else in 2010 to 14. And now everybody's chasing small SkyTrain stations and developers are scared of the larger stuff because it doesn't absorb so quickly. So if the government wanted to help supply, they can give developers with larger projects more legal time to hit their pre-sales. Right. So mm-hmm. most people don't realize that when a developer starts a project, 
they have to get enough pre-sales to get their bank financing in nine months, or the government says they have to stop marketing. And then they have three months to get their financing. And if they don't, they give people their money back, right? In Ontario, they don't have any clock at all, which I don't think is good either, because the developers should have some timeline in which to, you know, I bought a condo in Vancouver or Toronto, and I'm waiting eight years for delivery. <laughs> like, that's a bit much. <laughs> so here, COVID, they relax that to 12 months. There's a group with the UDI trying to lobby to say, hey, if you want us to do more affordable supply, let us do bigger, more efficient projects. Let us design some larger product too, but give us 12, 18, 24 months to hit our pre-sale requirement before we have to start. And I think you're going to see that COVID adjustment will probably stick or get pushed a little bit. And that would help the consumer. That's a really interesting point. Um, maybe before we we move to downtown, going back to this kind of real significant surge that we've seen in the first three, four months here, that right now it feels busy, 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 right? You sound very confident almost about the interior, the island, Vancouver. In the next one year, three years, five years, do we kind of continue a pace here? What are the significant risks that you see out there, Scott? Well, I'm glad you asked the question because there's this thing we do for our developer clients called sales. But there's this <laughs> thing that there's this thing that they don't that the public doesn't see that we deal with a lot with our clients, and that's mitigating risk. Right. Okay. So what I think is that you know, and then there's a little statement to that. The most certainty we know is today. Tomorrow's less certain. After that, less certain. I think we're in a general cycle, what COVID taught us, of shorter cycles and more volatility. So you're going to see over three-year patterns, maybe where nothing sells for three months and then goes crazy again. But I think we're going to have a lot more of a roller coaster. And so be very, very careful if you're investing or owning real estate to put yourself in a position that you don't have to do something like sell when you don't want to. Mm-hmm. Okay. Number two is we've shifted our whole view for Fifth Avenue anyway with our clients. And when we're designing a unit mix, we often start with an exercise about what percentage of the target market can afford this much mortgage per month. And then we just start designing our unit mix to what people can afford. And what I do think is that stress test is going to go up. I think we're going to have a heated second half to June 1st. I think like in 2017, probably more like 18, 18, the second half of the year slowed down, but was still busy. We didn't really feel it till 19, but you could feel it slowing down. Mm -hmm. But if you weren't in it every day, you didn't, you didn't necessarily notice it. I think that the second half of this year will not cool, but it will definitely not maintain this pace. But I think it's more probably 2022 will be a bit of a stabilizing year and therefore there will be absorptions possible, but I don't think we're going to see more inflation in the single family. And I think we're going to need to make sure we're building product that's affordable because if that stress test kicks in higher, right? Remember last time it took away about 18 to 20% of the buying power, right? Mm-hmm. So it drove people down and it drove people, some people out of single family into townhomes, some out of townhomes into condominiums. Now, so that's probably what will happen with one wild card, okay? Immigration. Right. Right. Because typically, there's two types of immigration. There's people who come here for the fortune of living in Canada and are are not well off. And there's another whole group that are coming here that probably are buying up more of our affluent neighbors and pushing more people out to the burbs, right? So is that going to happen? So I think we just need to be prepared for a little bit more volatility. The one figure, I joke, I don't joke about it. I tell our clients, though, I did this with COVID. I said, look, 
where you don't know certainty, what's the one measure you're going to watch for the next six months and pay close attention to? Okay. Back then, I told a lot of our clients, the number one number to pay attention to was mortgage default rate. I said, in 2020, if you see that mortgage default rate go, we got a real problem. I said, CMHC, everybody talking about all this, like that could be noise, could be true, but I'm watching to see that mortgage default rate. This year, I'm not watching that. That might be next year. This year, I'm watching that stress test. That's the one. And it's funny because I gave a talk about two days before they increased it. And I said this was going to happen, but I didn't say it was going to happen in two days. That would have been really impressive. <laughs> but literally, literally, the people, I get an email after the session. Uh, Did you know something you should know? Because what you said just happened. I'm like, what? I, they had to send me the link. And I'm like, oh, that's ironic. So that's what I'm watching. What does that do to buying power? Right. And, and, and I think it's just this kind of dilemma that they're in and that they want to cool the market. They never talk about supply as a way of cooling the market, but they also can't stall the economy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. So I don't think we're going to see economic recovery really till 2023. And so, you know, interest rates might come back up then, but I think that that's probably the one thing that's going to keep us all pretty busy for the next little while. But I don't think it's going to sustain the pace. Like you can't just keep setting records every month, right? Right. right. Um, well, and, and I'd love to be proven wrong on that, but I just don't think that that's sustainable. But a good portion of what we're experiencing actually is sustainable. Mm-hmm. Well, and it and you know we we're on the ground day in day out with you know people that are anyone from a first time home buyer to somebody moving through the market, and you know how's the market is the question what's going to happen in the next three to six months but at least if i understand correctly a little bit more volatile than we're used to but fairly consistent demand just because of the the lack of supply well lack of supply and it's also tied to just i wonder what COVID did for throwing off assumptions about population growth hmm. can you can you unpack that a little bit well i think that a census just came out in 2020 and we don't well we don't have the data yet but it was done in 2020 right And so there's certain projections for population growth, but they probably did not have an extraordinary event like COVID factored into how many people would move from Ontario to here. Right, right. The other one is we got an older population that increasingly is going to outage medical in the U.S., right? So if you don't like winter, right, Manitoba, Saskatchewan, Alberta, where are you going to live? And you sure as heck ain't making a lateral move into downtown Vancouver. So where are you going to go? Well, Kamloops, right? Penticton, right? Vesuvius, possibly, right? But generally, or the Kootenays, Revelstoke, or stuff like that. And then I think that the only thing that probably curtails that a little bit is most people still want to be within a quick hour helicopter ride to, as you get older, over 70. You know, how close you are to hospitals is a pretty big buying factor. Mm-hmm. I used to joke that when we did downsizer stuff for certain people, I said the two things that our client liked over 70 was walk to medical and walk to liquor. <laughs> and sometimes they're the same. <laughs> so, so I think that that whole aging population thing is also from outside the province is going to do it, but also immigration. Like if you hold back immigration, which we've had, right. Instead of having a set amount every year, like I think we saw a little mini dam with COVID. Mm-hmm. We saw people out of the market for, for three to four months. But there was real demand. It wasn't false demand. And it built up and built up and built up. And then it flowed for three or four months. And then on the confidence of that flow, other people entered the market. Right. So that that immigration dam is building right now. 
Right, which is a potentially, oh, I hate to say second wave, but it does seem like a second kind of surge potential, right, is is when the border opens back up and, and yeah, we yeah, get back to yeah. normal. And that's where I think, and again, I don't know what the government's doing. I'm just one guy. But my point is that I do see where potentially the, the little foreign buyer increase could be potentially just saying, look, before that creates inflation, let's address it a little bit more, right? Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. I don't think that's immediately going to generate any more income. Because, you know, again, when's the last time you heard an article or talked about anything other than yesterday about the foreign buyer? Do you guys see any? No, no. We sold a thousand homes last year. I could probably count on one hand the number of foreign buyers. Mm-hmm. And it's not like I have 400 fingers, to be clear. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to buy gloves if that was the case. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, Scott, so we've covered the island, the interior, the Okanagan, the Fraser Valley. We're kind of working our way from the outside back in. Uh, I know you're you're focusing more on downtown and Vancouver uh, than you were in the past. Curious to hear your thoughts on what in the world is going on in Vancouver right now. Yeah, well, I've always liked those markets. It's just that I really believe in being, you know, pure in brand. So, this, you know, we... We're such a market leader in the suburban and affordable product market at Fifth. I did not want to take the Fifth brand downtown. But we've been looking for years to find the right partner. And we found a gentleman named Jackie Chan and another guy named Harry Minhas. And with our partners, Ontario created Baker West. So they're already all over what's happening downtown. I think in two or three months, they've been involved. They've listed about $300 million in sales. and, And they're seeing some interesting things. So I've looked at this and I go back to my UDI presentation about downtown Vancouver in 2016 and it was titled Bubble or Sustainment Momentum. Uh, we're not using the bubble word these days. No kidding. Too bad. It's kind of fun. The only time I hear <laughs> bubble anymore is with respect to tea. But, um, but we are talking a lot about is this sustainable? So the first quarter, like I said, was wicked hot. 5,301 sales, according to Urban Analytics, our partner. The highest total sales except for Q2 2016. That year we sold over 20,000. This year I think we're probably going to do 15 to 17 because I do expect that cooling. By the way, before this quarter last year, my original assumption for this year was a great recovery year, you know, where we did about 10,000 last year. I thought we might do 13 to 15. So I've had to upgrade that. Mm-hmm. But I think we will we'll coast uh, at high speed for the second half of the year, kind of like, you know, being in the Tesla and having some have the machine drive it for you. We won't go in the wall. Uh, but we won't speed. And uh, But what's interesting is just what's happening. So as I mentioned to you, downtown Vancouver, uh, you know, lots of challenges around COVID and socialization and these things. Costs. You can't bring product to market for less than 2400 a square feet. And how many people want to pay $2,400 for a studio apartment? So I think, I think you're going to see downtown Vancouver be the luxury market or really the rental market. And you know what? In New York, that's fine, right? People talk about how well they leased in New York, not what they own Mm -hmm. for a lot of people. But I think that Vancouver West Side is very interesting because what's happening is that whole Canby corridor and to a degree Oak, but the number of kind of mid-rise and townhome communities that are going in there that are absorbing townhomes between a million and two and people are saying, one of the most significant placemaking exercises in all Metro Vancouver is Oak Ridge. I want to be able to walk to that, take advantage of it. I want to be on SkyTrain. Mm -hmm. But for me, I want an alternative to living in one of those dense towers. So that townhome market along that corridor is going to go absolutely crazy in the next six months. 
And some developers like Belfort are doing unique things like steel construction. So that's even attracting a consumer more. But it's interesting. It's it's a local end user, possible Richmond, Vancouver, West Side. Mm-hmm. It's not your West Side downsizer. Your West Side downsizer is either maybe going to go downtown again or they're going to skip over to a neighborhood to where their kids are with grandkids. But tower activity, there's really a, not a lot in Vancouver proffered. Politics are horrible. Uh, getting things approved takes three, four years. So you're going to see little niche projects like Camby Corridor. And other than Oak Ridge, pretty tough to see anything major. You know, the, there's always more coming at False Creek, but that, again, is price-driven. You have to be able to be in the peak frothy market. Right. But Burnaby, though, and the North Shore, North Shore is undersupplied. Talk about in placemaking and how much they've improved oh, the waterfront of North it's, Vancouver. It's, it's freaking awesome. Yeah. yeah. But there's not very much canvas left there. And so you've got Burnaby and you've got big master plan communities coming in Burnaby, several of them, all the way out from, you know, the old Saputo to to Brentwood Metro Town. So that Burnaby market is one to keep an absolute eye on um, and use that as your real gauge. But interesting in downtown Vancouver, for instance, too, condo market was terrible last year. People didn't release because they were scared. Developers weren't sure they could pre-sell. So we had one of the lowest concrete high-rise totals. This year so far, they're back to a little bit more normal. They were about half the sales so far this year. Townhomes still holding steady at 30. And, you know, concrete sales are killing it in Burnaby, Coquitlam, and Richmond mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right now. And then the submarkets for townhomes are still out in the valley because townhomes on the Camby Corridor are going to be great. But these are a million to $2 million. They're not, you know, 650 to a million-dollar townhomes. Mm-hmm. And I think we're still going to see that, you know, of course, those markets, Burnaby and that are still, because of the high-rise, going to have market share. And and so, you know, I'm really watching that concrete market, that townhome market. The other one I like for places like Burnaby and Coquitlam and Richmond is value that can be offered by creating, buying a six-story wood frame near one of those concrete towers. Right. Where you get a little bit more spare, you know, there's a lot going on up in the Como and Clark area. And the towers are now 950, you know, or more, but you can get, you know, a decent sized one bedroom still for $740 a square foot for now. So uh, those value plays around wood frame. The other one is Port Moody's just getting started with some of its waterfront stuff. And, and Port Moody's really, in my opinion, going to become the West Vancouver of the Tri-Cities. Uh, so there's a lot of, you know, kind of very fascinating things to watch. But I think the concrete market is going to be super steady in those markets and then the low-rise market and affordable. And and so I expect that's probably going to drive us to that fifteen to 17,000 number. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. Kind of the, the low-rise thing, Adam and I often joke about, you know, believe the hype, which basically we mean, you know, use the, the larger concrete project marketing and benefit from it by buying something smaller, you know, small wood frame nearby, right? <laughs> As kind of a yeah. play. But also, we've been spending more time in Port Moody too, with buyers primarily, and they're all North Van, West Van expats that yeah. are, are being yeah. pushed out. Yeah, yeah, can't afford North Vancouver, but want to be just the other side of the bridge. Similar feel and lifestyle. Can get to my parents when I want to. You're you're spot on. Yeah, a lot, uh, lot of. Craft. That's why I said it's kind of the West Van. Well, maybe maybe it's not West Van, but it's kind of North Van, Deep Cove kind of. Yeah, I feel like you see a lot of craft breweries and Subarus out there, which is. 
<laughs> a sign. <Yeah. laughs> You're making me thirsty. <laughs> uh, right, right on. Well, that that that's great, man. I I feel like we had you on not that long ago, and yet this was a super insightful conversation. So uh, I'd like to say we should have you back on again sometime, but maybe sooner than later uh, if you have the time. That was, that was great, Scott. Uh, I make the time for sure because you guys ask great questions and it's fun to talk. And also, I do have some a couple of big reports coming out. The Okanagan multifamily report will be out in about two weeks and uh, our other our other market for vancouver report will be out in about two weeks so we'll get those to you and uh, happy to always uh, help in any way we can hey sounds good and, and scott how can people find out more about fifth ave uh if they're if they're looking for copies of those reports uh, before they hear about it here uh and just learn more about what you guys are doing if they go to f-i-f-t-h-a-v-e.ca backslash podcast because any podcast we're on we promote there they can from there find their way to those reports because they are complementary to the consumer. And they have a lot of data that's not on MLS, so it's very helpful. And then, of course, as we start to put out, uh, they can get to the access to the Okanagan report from there too. Fantastic. Well, thanks again, Scott, for your time. Always great uh, chatting, and we'll, we'll talk to you soon. Yeah. Uh, go back now for you. It's back to your multiple offer situation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> See, you <later>. okay. <laughs> See you later. Right on. Take care. Have a good day. Bye. So there you have it, folks. Scott Brown, CEO and President, Fifth Avenue Marketing, charismatic guy, insightful guy, knowledgeable guy, a guy you need on your team. Yeah, that's that's absolutely right, Corey. Not bad. Uh, I feel like that was uh, that was a I would say a nine and a half out of ten there. Well, after twenty seven takes, I should hope we should be there. <laughs> But it's always great having Scott on the show. Uh, super insightful guy. Uh, they are growing, so it's so interesting to hear kind of their take, uh, Scott's and his team's take on on the market uh, around BC, and always just really insightful stuff. So frontline yeah, information. Great, great to on. have him on for sure. But what else do we have, Corey? Before we head out for the day one, Vancouver Commercial Real Estate Podcast launches May 11th. May 11th, no turning back. We're going to unpack it all, educate you. And like I said, if you can't build a tower in downtown Vancouver after you're done listening to this, we haven't done our job. And and you said that to me off air and I thought it was a bold statement, but one you're sticking to. So <laughs> this is going, just so I understand, your podcast will do everything from the 101 basics of commercial real estate right up to uh, large-scale developments in downtown Vancouver. You're navigating through the city of Vancouver permitting process for 66 stories. I'm telling you, I am I am hooked. This is this is going to be this is what you call a masterclass in commercial real estate. So exciting! May 11th, Vancouver Commercial Real Estate Podcast. What else do we have, Corey? Before we head out for the day, we got VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. Head over to VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com, our website where all real estate-related things live. We have things like the LiveWire. This is our weekly mailer where you get stats before anyone else, sales ratios in sub-markets before anyone else, VIP pre-sales like Assembly in Strathcona. That is an amazing project. Have I don't you, know. Have you seen the rooftop decks? Oh, my God. It's Honestly, they take up three quarters of their displacement. Well, if you want to find out who builds that, we've booked Jordan McDonald, CEO, Fabric Living, 
on a future episode. Are you kidding? Yeah, I was worried you guys were going to go after him. I had to tell him that that your show wasn't nearly as good as what our and show now, is going to be. Now this is I don't want to I don't want to inadvertently we've plug the Vancouver Commercial Real Estate Podcast too much on the show. We have been trying to get Jordan McDonald for years. Well, I'll tell and you, he's been dodging us. He is so busy. I get emojis or one word answers on an email. That's how busy he is. But I've got a paper trail. That, that is. He's committed. That's a get. To he's committed. To a June episode. Okay, so Jordan McDonald is is heading on that show. VIP access to assembly his project in Strathcona. Amazing project. On the live wire or on VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. We also have private client services. Matt, if you're standing still no, with the rest no. of us. <laughs> let's, let's try that again, Corey. I think you, did you botch that? <laughs> Corey's a big fan of our show. <laughs> let's try that again. We've got PCS. Matt, if you're standing still, the rest of us are going to be power walking by you. We've got sold prices, days on market, literally realtor level information at your fingertips. And Matt, how can people get a hold of you? Not bad. So Corey, if I understand, private client services is a real estate research tool in which you head to our website and sign up for, and it allows you to power walk in the real estate market where other people are standing still. That's exactly correct. You do get realtor level information. That is a key component of it. Uh, we may have to work on it a bit, but that was a pretty- If you don't have PCS, it's pretty much me rolling around Como Lake. <laughs> If you want PCS or to talk anything real estate related at all, uh, including Aqua at the Park, Kelowna, man, we've had a lot of people reaching out about that new project. Talk about a beautiful development. No kidding. 778-847-2854 or Matt at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. And I'm Corey. You can reach me on Adam's cell phone and I don't have an email yet. (laughs) (laughs) Or we always got that secret line, info at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. Thanks for joining us, guys, and we'll talk to you next week. Enjoy your week. Two thousand faces for radio. Subscribe today. Hey everyone, pardon the interruption. We just want to take a quick minute to thank the following sponsors who make this show possible. We want to take a minute to tell you about Holy House, a nonprofit organization that provides community building programs and tenant support services to low-income seniors, veterans, families, and vulnerable residents in the downtown east side and across the lower mainland. Melissa from our team has been volunteering at Holy House. Melissa, what's been your experience? Honestly, it's been so fulfilling just to spend a few hours a week in the community and watch how the staff really transforms these vulnerable communities from the inside out, starting with just small things, right? Playing games, drinking coffee, having some simple conversations that you wouldn't necessarily think are super fulfilling. And you come out just feeling like you've really made an impact and connected with the community. And you've been to multiple buildings, but you're playing games, drinking coffee. Yeah, you know, serving food sometimes. And you made some friends along the way. And I've made some friends along the way. It's really helped me be more present, actually, in those moments of just, you know, realizing how simple 
life can be to make an impact, right? Fantastic. And if you want to learn more, you can definitely check out Jenny Konkin, co-founder of Holy House, who is a past guest fan favorite on the show, or head over to holyhouse.ca where you can donate or volunteer. And they're looking for both donations and they definitely like volunteers. That's holyhouse.ca. Vancouver needs your help. Be part of the solution. We are also sponsored by Oakland Realty. This is our real estate brokerage, best brokerage in the city, hands down. If you are in the industry, a new agent, an aspiring agent, somebody just looking to make a change, new culture, new energy, new resources, head over to oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. That's oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. Not only do you get to meet Michael Morgan and the gang, the big wigs over at Oakland, you get a huge incentive for first going to oakland.com slash join, typing in VRP 2020.